This is the one with Bill swapping chips for microchips. The emotion of spanking a very fast bottom. I, Bill Robots. The genesis of the Cybermen. And Bill walking the ward for a year like pain in the ICU. It's called World Enough and Time. Here we go. Whistle on our epic phrase. All through time and all through space. Whistling and angels are. Dalek, Cyber, Zood and wow. Counting Sonic's rating apps. From the poor to the sublime. Eccleston to Whitaker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join, Join us on this side to see what other choice could there be. But who back when? Who back when? Hello, wonderful people of podcast land, and welcome to another phenomenal, exciting, redonkulous episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or dog podcast. <laughs> this week we are celebrating the end of an era, almost, the first of a two-parter of the finale. Oh, it? Oh, is it? Is it not? Oh my god. Who knows? We'll get to that. Uh, we'll get to oh. that. Um, <laughs> it is N142, World Enough and Time. And, oh. yes. <laughs> With me, sorry, I'm still feel... stuck in ASMR over here. Sorry. <laughs> There's someone very eager to uh, to talk to you, Podcast Land. His name is Leon, and he sat right across from me over the ether. Hello, Leon. Hello! Hello, Marie. Hello, Podcast Land. Holy moly, am I ever excited yikes caramba this is a great episode um, um oh, I, I, i'm i'm, I'm oh. eager as well <laughs> oh oh i see another eager beaver in the back in the wings hello how eager are you i'm so eager i'm very much the eagerness <laughs> excellent do you know what sorry i am eager as well shall we shall we do this thing and drive straight into a bee scow we're not going to reverse painstakingly out of two minutes of black hole-like <laughs> chit-chat. Um, I knew you would catch on that. I obviously didn't mean to say drive. So do you do. <laughs> <laughs> Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview. This free for all. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. Missy has made such a roaring success of rescuing the Doctor's crew from Mars, being his live-in mechanic and tearing up suggestively that now she's being granted her own adventure, complete with reluctant disposables, thing one and the other one. Doc has selected a practice scenario worthy of her iniquitous intellect, answering the distress call of a 400-mile-long colony ship that's narrowly avoided a black hole's oblivion and has spent the last two days slash 1,000-plus years reversing back away from. Unfortunately, Bill never backed up her heart, and a jittery janitor takes her briefly offline. However, with some patience, she's soon back on her feet, and joins Mr. Razor edging around a bargain basement hospital. Can Doc rescue her from the conversion theatre and thwart Operation Exodus? Miss Gow, over. You are welcome. <laughs> I've already asked everyone's sure-to-be-new-favourite question. Is this the start of a three-parter or merely a two-parter? <laughs> <laughs> what a question! Well, I, Let's for one, can't way. answer it. <laughs> yeah. 
How I don't remember that far ahead, so how would you ever know? Well, I know that two episodes from now, in Capaldi's last one, yeah. he will we will rejoin him exactly where he is in the snow. So it's all part of the same action sequence. Nepal. Oh Ooh. yes. Ooh. I had totally forgotten about this cold open actually. But yeah, you're right. It's, it's the coldest open of them all. How could you forget? It's an ice planet. <laughs> That's really interesting. I remember him shoving his fists into the snow to sort of mm. turn off his regeneration cycle, or whatever, you know, to, to halt it. And then I completely forgot about making that note and we never see that happen here. So I take it that's what happens two episodes from now. I believe so. Interesting. Ooh. <laughs> Except very much not. But I thought we had to address it. Right, so in Very your mind, is this a three-parter? Nah, not really. Oh, oh. <laughs> well, it's all about dividing up, isn't it? We know how many episodes we got. Who cares how they're lumped together? I just, I was just being, I don't know. I was easing but, us in. Have we got a better question? <laughs> but you're right. This cold open sets up that it's going to be like his last, like you would assume the last episode if we're starting with him regenerating or at least the end of like this two-parter because oh, no. it's the end of the series. You're absolutely right there. But were we all thinking? In fact... Maybe yes. I, I seem to remember now thinking back four years. Oh, this must mean that Jodie Whittaker is taking the Christmas episode and yeah. that will be her first one. I think so. You're right. Yeah. No, you're right. The next episode is called The Doctor Falls. Mm. and Which is uh, exactly what Jodie Whittaker does at the beginning of her first episode. <gasps> exactly. Her you're first so episode right. is called The Woman Who Fell to Earth. So those two mm. kind of tally. And it, it, I don't remember. I don't. I guess basically my position is confusion. Uh, <laughs> at the very end of Twice Upon a Time, Jodie Whittaker says brilliant, is thrown out of the TARDIS. That's all she gets. Mm. But what about The Doctor Falls? Where does that end? That ends with a... Do you really want me to spoil it? Oh, I don't know if I want you to spoil it. No, I don't think you do. But oh. um, obviously it ends with Capaldi going back to where we find him at the beginning of Twice Upon a Time. That's all you need to know right now okay mm. okay right. i've got a better question okay and leon you can speak to us and the audience on this oh really okay why exactly is it so exciting and significant that they've brought back the mondasian cybermen oh my goodness what a question mondas is the planet of the cyberman mondas is where it all started and this episode uh, i mean okay if anyone is interested, have a you just click Cybermen on whobackone.com and scroll all the way to the bottom to the very first time that we've encountered the Cybermen because that will most likely be the Mondasian Cybermen. I'm sure in that review, I haven't listened back to it, but I'm sure in that review we said something that probably is echoed across most people's reaction to Mondasian Cybermen, namely, "Wow, that's really naff." Like, <laughs> They're just dudes who speak through some sort of fan wearing a stocking or a sock over their head. That's a Cyberman. That's before we had Cyberman the way they are today. And this episode, and possibly the next one, I haven't watched the next one yet, and I don't remember it really, but this episode certainly puts into context why they are wearing socks on their heads and mm. reimagines them as something absolutely insanely scary. It's very impressive. It's, it's a very well-accomplished reboot of the original Cyberman. Um, I have just gone to Who Back When and scrolled all the way down to the end, and yeah, 
I think they've done such a good job of making them look really recognisable as those Mondasian ones. But yes, like so, so creepy. They don't look like, an, you know, something from the 60s that has aged terribly. They're kind of brought up to uh, yeah, date. Not... <laughs> Imagine you're doing New Who, but on no budget whatsoever. You don't have <laughs> the facilities to say, All right, can we get this one prop studio to design a plastic shell of a, of a robot that is then multiplied across, you know, a hundred or something copies to resemble metal and to seem like they're all robots. Uh, what do we have a budget for? I don't know. Um, I got this sock for Christmas. It doesn't fit me. It's way too big. It's kind of head-sized. That's all we have. Look at this. Look at this. It's so big. I can stretch it over my head. Gary, wait. Gary, wait. Leave it on. Yeah. That's great. That's fantastic. That's exactly what we need. That is so similar to the how do we design a TARDIS scene in uh, an adventure in space and time, isn't it? It's like, oh, fuck it. I don't have a budget for anything, but I've got these knickknacks on my table. So, oh, right. Uh, <laughs> I assumed, I assumed having forgotten it, it was like, oh, I don't have anything. Wait a minute. I've got a friend in the police. I'll go into this police box and call him up and see if he's got anything. Gary, Gary, wait, stay in the box. <laughs> <laughs> Gary gets around a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. Gary is the unsung hero of 60 years of Doctor Who. <laughs> I mean, I don't exactly remember what your initial question was, Drew, but have we answered it? I, I think you've answered it with a plum. You've answered it adroitly. <laughs> the thing I really liked about the Cybermen this time around was just how dark the scene was with Bill and the pain button and the well because oh, he did seem wow. he, he was pressing a button yeah but the, is that is that the button that says pain? Kill why did they, me. Why did they make I'm a pain you. button? Oh my goodness, Marie, that is one of my questions. Like. It, <laughs> <laughs> He has what, like, I'm going to say somewhere between 36 and 48 buttons to press. One of them is dedicated to the word pain. (laughs) Which actually, I guess, makes sense because in hospitals you have, like, you can press the button to bring the nurse and it will be like, I'm, you know, I need something. But I'm sure, I think... Do you think it's contextual? Oh, sorry, Marie. Like, depending on what you're in for, sometimes you're hooked up to morphine and you can literally just press and be like, oh, I'm in pain now, and it will give you a shot of morphine. So the Are you suggesting like that a... the button actually means morphine? Well, I feel like that's the that's the kind of idea of it, is that he's, tra- he's telling someone he's in pain, and then the nurse comes yeah. over and tr- and like it looks like she's turning up the dial to like give him more medication. Yeah, um, it does. And then, yeah, obviously is is not. <laughs> it's a lot darker than that. Just Her reaction even being, yeah, I've solved this problem like yeah, this issue exactly. has been resolved <laughs> like no yeah. you, no you just turned <laughs> off the the volume like you turned down the volume that's incredible it's the, so beautifully callous it's mm. incredible it's absolutely wonderful i was gonna say do you think it's contextual because they only have i mean okay let's say there are 30 buttons mm. maybe 40 buttons tops we will not pain and why oh, that doesn't make sense so but you don't have enough me. buttons to make that make grammatical sense you know so, so that's why my my Stand question is do you think it's contextual? what do you think is contextual do you think it's like that little touch bar on new macbook pros so depending on whether you are for example in a hospital room or if you are trying to invade a, an alien space station or if you're just casually shooting civilians in a moon base that those <laughs> buttons on your little thingy are going to mean different things i like that what weird question theory. i have i have no idea 
Because um, otherwise, I, Cybermen are capable of saying 30 to 40 words, period. But that's oh, but they I, haven't been fully converted yet. Oh, I see. Uh, sorry, Maria, what was that? Like, I really like this as a theory. Um, I think the thing that I was thinking is, I wonder if they've basically, they've, they've already started kind of the dehumanization process and the kind of stripping of emotions as well. And so they're always kind of limiting, like Simon don't have the broad range of emotions that humans do. So they're kind of narrowing it down all the time. So maybe this is partly it. Like you can't express yourself, even though you might think all these things, you don't have the output for it. So we've defined for you what you are allowed to feel and say. Okay, that that Ooh. makes sense. Uh, I, like I have it. a completely superfluous follow-up question to that. <laughs> okay. The other Cyberman who presses a button on his little thing says, kill me. Does he press one or two buttons? I don't know why they would give him a kill me button. Maybe maybe you're right. Because why would they exactly. give him a kill me button? Because the, the whole point of this is that your species don't survive as humans, so we're going to give you a body that will never die. So, exactly. But they give him a button to kill. Keyboard makes no sense. Yeah, and they give him a button to identify himself, and then he puts those together. What's even more confusing is that after a while, Bill sees a whole group of patients shambling down the corridor with the matron, and one of them is saying, Die me! Die me! <laughs> you're right. Yes, He hasn't found right. the kill button yet. No, exactly. He's still playing around with the technology. <laughs> There's a lot of buttons to go through. It must be complicated. They're still working out the linguistics engine behind that, like of their software, effectively. Yeah, I mean, I I think Kill Me could definitely be part of this medical establishment because I mean we don't go in for euthanasia yet uh, unless Dignitas in Switzerland or whatever but maybe in this society euthanasia because they live in a smog choked hell was quite a popular option at one point so the hospital used to be into that in a big way but eventually just became so callous and so behind that creepy well-spoken surgeon who I loved in his like two lines I was perfect his vision they were like hey you know what we're gonna just ignore them when they say kill me because uh we got operation exodus on the go now and they just they just completely ceased caring when they decided to dehumanize the patients the real dehumanization was in their own hut how ironic and <laughs> and that's where we are now after hundreds of years of moral decay this is where we end up oh, i love it <laughs> Who played the Doctor? Oh, I found him. Paul Brightwell. Paul I Brightwell, was... I salute you, you legend. What an absolute dude. I thought he was a... What? He was the quartermaster in Titanic. Okay, I see. Yeah. Well, good for you, Paul Brightwell. Um... <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's also... Wait, hang on. Uh, this piece of entirely superfluous trivia will be worth it because he also appears in Last Night in Soho as Ooh. Cubby, a I, film that stars, among other people, Matt Smith. I look forward <gasps> to seeing that as soon as possible. No I know, way. me too. Holy moly. Let's, do you want to watch that together? Absolutely. Oh, can you say that, but slowly and breathy? Absolutely. Oh, so good. Oh, I love me some ASMR. Half our listeners just took half an hour off. Welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> did you have a good time? We assume you did. So, 
was that was that your only introductory question, Drew? Uh, what about you, Marie? Do you have any introductory questions? Let's talk about Missy. It's not really a question. Ooh, one half of the masters in this episode. <laughs> That's it. Let's, masters. let's come back to that one as well. <laughs> but, oh my Ooh. god. Oh my god, how how amazing was Missy? In the first few scenes, she was absolutely on fire, like left, right and centre. I couldn't keep up with all these little one-liners that were coming out. I was trying to jolt them all down. Um, and she was just amazing. And more than anything, it just made me really, really sad that she hasn't been in more episodes properly this series because she just lights up the screen like whenever she's there. I'm so glad that you said that because I almost entirely disagree with you. <gasps> Oh really? wow, that's hilarious. <laughs> Missy is amazing and I, I I agree with you on the point of I wish we had more of her. Like basically all the time, Missy, please inject Missy into a scene, it will be improved. But it took me a good long while to really appreciate her in this episode. In fact, I think oh. it's up until the point that they engage the lifts. Only at that point, sorry, I should say, only at that point do I start to really like Missy. But up until that point, she is is redonkulously OTT and yeah. I don't like her. What? Yeah. Those two yeah, things go together like cheese and crackers. You're crackers. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't love cheese. Like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You are you telling me you didn't love the whole I am Doctor Who and the whole like debate about whether it's his real name and and how much she's teasing him and like Oh, I like that. I like that debate. Oh, I didn't I'm in the show, like just bring me some beans on toast. Oh my god, yes, I wrote that one down. That's how you humans flirt, yeah? <laughs> but when Missy exits the TARDIS at the very start, and it, it, there's just an, an L, there's a degree of theatricality to what she's doing. Which which you love in The Master, his degree of theatricality. You have said that so many times on this podcast. <laughs> I probably True. have, you're right. <laughs> but... I, I I do feel like it is just a teeny tiny bit too much. I mean, for my liking, this is a very subjective thing, but for my liking, there is a teeny tiny bit too much Missy going on at the start. If she would just turn it down from 11 down to, like, let's say, a 7 or an 8, I would be... Seven. At the start, tone her down a little bit, and then you hit the lifts and then just keep her, because at that point, she is great. Do you love it when she... Oh, sorry. Marie, go. Marie, go. When she told Blue Guy not to be a bitch. Yeah, that was great, actually. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, maybe Molly... And is this the emotion the you call spanking? <laughs> like, she's so... Yeah, I love that as well. so much fun. <laughs> yeah, you loved every line I've said so far. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are you human? You... Oh, don't be a bitch. <laughs> you didn't love her hat was her hat too theatrical for her or the, no i love or her the, hat i love when her, she called yeah no no dag nabbit i don't know what it is at a comp what did she call I, I, bill was exposition in nardole's comedy like she nailed it hilarious hilarious yeah but oh, I, yes. you can't you can't default this by our functionality there's not functionalities there's agendas it was too over to over the top. It might have been too silly. I'm not entirely sure, no. but there were a lot of occasions where I, for myself, went, "Oh, this is taking me out of it a little bit." Uh, Leon. I love Misty, but I feel like this this interpretation of her role is redonkulous. Where you disagreed with Marie earlier, I'm going to disagree with you. Of course, she shouldn't come out of the TARDIS doing a perfect Doctor slash Capaldi impression. Any moment in which she tries to constrain or curtail her magnificent 
florid masterfulness into the <laughs> the doctor's small template is going to explode outwards in a massive burst of over the top creativity and everything and just overwhelm the viewer so that's love exactly the use of the word I, florid yeah, exactly <laughs> what i wanted from her and the other thing is she's not trying to mimic him exactly she's she's fully aware that he's watching her she's doing it she's mocking him like she's coming out and being like oh hello i'm doctor yeah. who like it's intentional she's doing it to wind him up yeah while simultaneously winding up bill and nardole because she is the mischief princess and a, she and is apparently the Loki leon. of this universe she, yeah, uh, sorry Marie. he is <laughs> apparently winding leon up as well <laughs> yeah yeah mission accomplished that's fine that's totally fine i would also like to point out that in my notes i have listed literally only one thing about this entire episode whatever it is 45 minutes that annoyed me and this was not it so i i mean oh cool you know oh it, it's more to down a little bit because i'm okay. not that annoyed by missy's ott behavior in in scene one although good yeah, I'm going to tell you right now, whatever you take off from Missy, I'm going to add on just to make sure we even up the score. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, some slightly oh, begrudging acquiescence is fine by us, Leon. <laughs> yeah. oh, okay. Sure. <laughs> is your, is, I don't want to skip to the end, perhaps, oh. but is the point which annoys you somewhat later on? A tiny bit later on, yeah. Yeah, yeah a tiny bit later on. Me too. Oh, I wonder if it's the same thing. If it's the same thing, then you and I need to share a shrink because <laughs> that is <laughs> probably indicative of something much, much deeper. Oh dear, sounds specific. Um, we'll get yeah. to it. <laughs> okay. I thought I might know what it is and now I'm not sure. <laughs> what is your thing? Oh my goodness, what? Marie, if you had to pick one thing that annoyed you about this episode, what would it be? Go. It was when he rips his head off. <laughs> And then there's a full <laughs> master underneath, and he's been wearing this massive prosthetic for years. And it's never well, when he Scooby Doo's, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is ridiculous. That's it's not ridiculous. what annoyed me, but that oh. is absolutely ridiculous. Seriously, <laughs> would you say that the fact that the master has been alive for so long and expects to be alive for so long, wearing this mask? for slightly less than so long means that it's actually barely wearing a mask at all. I mean, probably, but I just don't... Does... Okay, why does he need to? Would like why, why, why would Bill? Question. Why would Bill recognize him? <laughs> Bill wouldn't know who he is. Question. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness! I didn't even think about that. That's such a good question. He doesn't need to wear a mask. <laughs> wait, 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 wait! He does say he needs to wear it when he's someone's former prime minister. So Bill was alive during the John Saxon prime ministership. But how old was she? She's only like. I have a passing acquaintance with what Harold Wilson looks like. I was just about to go Gordon Gordon Brown. (laughs) (laughs) Is that that your your argument, Drew? Oh, sorry, Marie. I I think that's certainly the episode's argument, and I'm prepared to buy it. Yeah, Marie, um, I'm sorry. No, I, I feel like I talked over you. What was that? I did it too. Like it, it, when he said it, I was like, "Oh yeah, sure, okay. I guess she might know you." But I feel like it didn't need to be quite so elaborate. <laughs> like you must be so hot under there. <laughs> 
he could easily not have worn a mask and at some point Moff could have just written in the line of bills. Has anyone ever told you that you look a lot like Gordon Brown? And then the monster would have gone, oh, who? I don't know. I'm from a different planet. At which point she would have gone, oh, never mind. And that would have been the fun thing about that. That that would have been great. Yeah, But that would have taken away the surprise for us, the audience. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's worth it for the audience, but <laughs> I've got a however as well. Yeah, however, the surprise for the audience has already been taken away by that fucking trailer maker who if yeah. like, mm. if you haven't murdered him yet, get on it. Because <laughs> he mu- he must be stopped. I assume it's a he. Who back when the podcast does not condone murder, so uh... <laughs> not murder. But it Sorry? makes you know, it makes it even worse because I remember you saying this last time and I couldn't remember quite exactly when the reveal comes, but it's so late in the episode and he is in disguise for the most part, exactly for the reason that there's a big reveal for us, and then it's all given away up front. The next time on who oh, on who back when? The next time on Doctor Who Same thing revealed <laughs> The Master, and also, I believe, the Cybermen. Mm. And I, I guess you could make the argument that unless you've seen Classic Who, or you don't even need to have watched Classic Who, unless you've Googled Cybermen throughout the ages, you paraphrase, and you're aware of what Cybermen looked like in Classic Who, this might have been a surprise to this you. This might have retained, retained some vestigial surprising elements. Exactly. Maybe. No, it's not good enough. But (laughs) as. Either way, the master thing, the master reveal is the big flaw of the next time slash this time on Doctor Who that was revealed the last time around. Yeah, because it would have been so good. I was watching Mr. Razor very closely to see if John Sim was recognisable as John Sim. And Abby was watching it with me tonight and she said, oh, is that Bill Bailey under there? (laughs) So, oh, interesting. Bill Bailey would be a great master as well in the future. <laughs> Possibly the best casting I've ever heard. Marie. Like, absolutely Perfect. disagree. Gone. Absolutely disagree. <gasps> Bill Bailey. Marie, I can't hear you, Drew. Sorry, what was that? I can't hear you. I'm sorry. <laughs> Let me speak. You're, you're cutting out, Drew. <laughs> okay, sorry, Drew. What was that? Bill Bailey is just too downright lovable and genial and harmless and affable a dude and far too prone to going on whimsical excursuses about woodland creatures to be in any way a good fit for the master. But imagine if you kept that. Imagine if he was really lovable and affable and then just out of the blue just was super, super cold. like it would... Really flinty, just on the drop yeah. of a hat. Exactly. The drop of a mask that he wrenches off his own face. <laughs> I was going to say, we've had Bill Bailey before. Before, right, he was in that Christmas episode, the Wooden People, whatever it's yeah, called. Yeah, the Doctor, the Wish, and the Wardrobe. Or That's the one. Yeah. Called, the Wooden People. Oh yeah, but completely <laughs> underused in that. I don't even remember him basically being in that. Yeah, until you said agreed. It. Yeah, yeah, but it is to bring all this back. It is very hard to get to remember exactly where I was and how much had been given away four years ago and how much was still left for this episode to reveal. But it has to be less than what the script writers, you know, Moffat and the people who filmed it thought would have left in the tank when it finally got broadcast. I can tell you exactly where it was because Jim and I watched it together and we didn't see the like before on Doctor Who thing so it wasn't spoiled for us and we were chundling along fine, everyone's enjoying it it's the best episode ever, having a great whale of a time and then as soon as Missy and this other guy with the mask on, I can't remember his name Mr. Razor 
there we are. Yeah, the as soon as they get in the same yeah. room together, Jim gets really excited. He was like, oh my God, I've just remembered who that is. And I was like, well, <laughs> fuck, now I have as well. <laughs> um, so Jim got there before me, but I think it very, it very quickly became obvious in like that scene. Um, oh yeah, when he's saying, I would not be so self-destructive. <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah but up until that point i don't think you'd have any clue like it was it was completely separate i don't think there yeah, was any but for this trailer making bastard this assassin yeah. on the inside <laughs> doing an inside job to take down dr Who. <laughs> whereas the cybermen i think oh there's a lot of clues to them quite early on i think you hear the like cyber voice a couple of times and like obviously you see the hardware before you see the cyberman like Bill's like heart thing. I think you can probably guess at that without knowing. Oh, I don't know. I mean, there isn't a single fan, and Mr. Razor doesn't go behind it and, and say, Isn't my voice funny when I talk behind this fan? I am a Cyberman. Ha ha ha. Funny, yes. Is it funny? <laughs> it is. It is funny, yes. So, wait, wait, hang on. How long does he do the voice? Well, I totted up some of the numbers. Bill wakes up on day 365,034, and she's mopping the corridors on day 365,433. So it is at least a year. And then the doctor's just moving to the lift. So it's probably a good year and a half. I mean, that is a lot. I really liked when they shared a moment on the sofa when he says, "It will, the months will fly by. And <laughs> they seemed really friendly. And I thought that was yeah. a beautiful misdirect. It's like, no, this can't be the master. They are definitely bonding. Do you know the thing I wrote down, like early doors, was I cannot tell whether this is a good guy or a bad guy. Like he was so, like there was something about him that I didn't trust. But he was like, they did form this little friendship. Like they lived together for a year and a half. Off, and I kept really wanting to like him and I think by the end when he's like okay I'll take you to the lifts I think that's the point where I was actually kind of tr- like trusting him finally and then he fucking backstabbed me but I think it was played so nicely because that's always the thing with the master is you never know like whether he's like the good guy or the bad guy like there's been so many times where he's like and now with Missy as well like has she got a good heart is she like can we turn her into a good person or is she pure evil and that's the interesting thing about that character well, do you think she is a good person? Entirely disregarding the next episode, assuming that you don't remember what the next episode is. I don't remember what the next episode really says about her character development. But I think I feel very much like the Doctor feels in that I really, really want her to be, but I never can quite trust it. Yeah, oh, she does. Doctor. She does flip back very quickly when John Sim comes <laughs> smirking onto screen. Yeah, it yeah. seems as though the only thing that can possibly turn her back to her wily ways is herself yeah, and can, John Sim is with herself. herself exactly it's just but the it's self also, is literally and happens to be smirking across the room from her I think it's also like <laughs> when John Sim's master says you have hurt Bill in the past as in like I've hurt Bill therefore you've hurt Bill and this like realization that the doctor's never going to forgive her for that even though it wasn't her that did it and it wasn't and she doesn't remember it it's all wound up in like her now and so however far she's come in this journey of like gaining his trust is 
gone. Like, that's going to be completely wiped out as soon as he finds out what's happened to Bill. Um, well, well, I hope that next week we really get into how it isn't that binary and that black and white and how the Doctor can be like, no, I recognise that that was then. And of course, John Sims, a bastard, he won't stop smirking. But you, I've seen potential in you. Mm. Okay, so can I say that mm-hmm. I thought it was absolutely delicious that Razor's betrayal of Bill came just after the scene where he seems to be the most vulnerable and open when he's saying this question you must not ask because if you do i think mm. i might tell you and she's like mate guess what i'm gonna ask next <laughs> and it's so heartwarming apart from when her unit digs into his chest and literally hurts his heart Whoa, it's all amazing isn't it but yes it is and i love that episode for all the reasons you've just said not episode scene but you've literally just made me wonder now like he's literally telling her don't ask me where this is i don't want to tell you if you ask me again i will tell you like is he is that his like pang of conscious that he's he has made a relationship with her and he doesn't want to lead her there but he knows that he will but he's kind of trying to warn her off that is such an interesting possibility he does also know that he is going to betray her because he will play into i mean he'll he'll play into her hand but then en route to freedom he is going to lead her into the the operation theater yeah but marie's point is does he know there's been they've been so chummy and they've shared so much truly disgusting tea in his horrible junk room that he perhaps he started to doubt knows. himself he a million percent knows because otherwise he just wouldn't do it he he knows Ugh. yeah no i don't think that was my point um, i think he knows like he definitely leads her in there f- with full knowledge of what's going to happen to her my question was whether when he's telling her don't ask me don't try and find your friend just stay here with me like maybe he maybe he would make a d- different decision if she hadn't pushed it maybe he would just live there with her and not try and convert her i don't think so this is a dude who applies facial makeup on a daily basis when he <laughs> When he scooby-doo's himself and he's got his regular face underneath, his goatee is perfect. Like, it is flawless. Yeah, that's fair. That guy, at the end of the night, he says goodnight to her in an accent. She goes to her, like, cell or whatever. And then he takes off his mask. He looks himself in the mirror. He freaking perfectly, meticulously tends to his goatee. Then he beats off. Then he goes to bed. He wakes up early, puts on a new freaking crazy makeup situation, and then says hello to her, good morning to her, in an accent. Yeah. It can be summarized as... Good night, Bill. Do not ask about weird hospital noises in night. Give us a kiss. <laughs> Hello, Bill. Exactly. There you go. My one-man show. Bravo, bravo. Oh, well, what did people think about Nardar going... Oh my goodness! Okay, so hang on. Let me read from my notes. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, uh, here we go. It, one of very few notes, which I think is indicative of me having enjoyed this episode. Mm. My note for that particular scene is pretty sure Drew's going to hate Nardole shaking his cheeks at being held at gunpoint. Uh, was I right? Uh, sort of, but not really, because it's also something I can do, so I sort of like it. <laughs> Marie, can you do it? Actually, I don't recommend it. I've got a bit of a headache coming on. Okay. Uh, maybe not then. <laughs> not as Definitely well as you can. Something, yeah, yeah, it's got to be done in small doses. <laughs> yeah. 
That would be worth uh, ASMRing, though. That's a good sound. Oh, you're telling me. (laughs) (laughs) I've already mentioned give us a kiss. That is one of the things I'm not entirely enamored. Maybe because I saw it in the trailer, I don't know. I mean, perhaps I was predisposed to be annoyed by it. But I also think it, while being somewhat suggestive, uh, like different incarnations of the master snogging, okay, hey-ho, I feel like it lacked a certain punch. It's very Loki, certainly. It wasn't a callback either, was it? It wasn't something he said as John Saxon. I'm completely on board for this. This is a conversation that I have had with my colleagues at work for about (laughs) four years. What? Really? Yeah. If a portal opens before you, you're just like going Uh about your day. Do, 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 do. A portal opens. Yeah. You step through this portal. It's Uh you from a parallel dimension, though. Yeah. Would you or wouldn't you? No. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, just no. Okay. Isn't that... What a waste, because I absolutely yeah. would. Obviously. How, when are you going to have this opportunity again, dude? I don't know how bad a kisser I am. I am terrible. Oh, but I'm you not know, just you, thinking you about like kissing, through. but fine. <laughs> yeah, it's I know what I like, and I like my wife, Abigail. There we go, end of dis- discussion. Point being, like, a bajillion percent. A portal opens, you step through it. When you and, star and, in Looper, it's very different. But of the opposite gender <laughs> as well, it's not you as you look now, it's a female version of you, or it's a male version of me. That's a bit different as well. I mean, yeah, I'm very mm. biased, but from my point of view, it's like, yeah, that's even better. That, that, that's yeah, great. exactly. Because <laughs> it's, it's less weird. If it was you literally as you look, I feel like that would be super weird. Still would. Still would. A million percent still would. <laughs> and that's the conversation I've had with my colleagues, because they're all like, you're a fucking idiot. Why would you do that? Yeah, you you are like, almost you the walking are... definition of narcissism. You would stare <laughs> at the pond be like, come to life. Come to life and I'll stick my tongue so deep in you you won't know what happened. Yeah, I mean, that seems like amateur level. I'm the dude fucking the pond. So the... the, 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 <laughs> yeah, the... <laughs> exactly. The pond is gradually just ah, it's, it's foaming at this point. And people are like, Narcissus, you need to come and and carb up, carbo load, mate. And Narcissus is just like, no, we're loving no, this. No. So, I mean, seriously, that's exactly what's happening here. And I don't see anything wrong about it. Like, there, there's nothing weird about that. If if <laughs> if I were the master and I encountered a different iteration of myself, my first reaction would not be, okay, hang on. How can we, I don't know, sociopolitically collaborate in order to gain greater influence uh, upon the galaxy? No, it would be, how can we put our bits together? And that's exactly what John Simmaster is doing. So, points to John Simmaster. By the way, you still have not hit upon my one single introductory question. Oh, is it? How is there a city on every level of this spaceship? Oh my goodness, that's such a good question. No, it's not. But that's such a good question. (laughs) On every level, we see through three windows. And through one window, there's just a beach and a distant sea. And in the other window, there's rolling hills of verdant farmland. So we see one city out of three. So what is the starting point? Like, is is the spaceship basically just fields or beaches? And then you inject humans into that equation. 
and turns into smog and shit. Well, in in certain decks are given over to solar farms, so they must have sun equivalents or light generators. I don't know why there isn't. What's going on on deck 1056? I mean, is there a sun there and it's just been dimmed and masked by all the smog i don't know um but yeah i don't see any difficulty in building a city on on some farmland that is pre-prepared for the colonists nice but yeah so you think that it, it when it went over like this there was no city it wasn't no because there were only 50 of them so they've built this up all in this time They've had a yeah. thousand years. Yeah. Yeah. And they've just destroyed this planet in a thousand years. Yeah. That makes a well, lot like of sense. Well, they destroyed their single deck in a yeah. thousand years. But yeah, why like why haven't they moved up? Because when you see the life signs, when Noddle's on the panel and he's like, look, but there's thousands of you where they'll come from. They're all clustered at the bottom and then it gets fewer and fewer as you go up. Why haven't they spread out to the top if that's where the clean air is and the nice fields and the solar farms and stuff? Well, there's almost an implication that the higher up you you get within this spaceship, within this platform slash... What's the train? Oh, like Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer! That's yeah, exactly yeah. what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. So depending on which level you're at, slash which carriage of Snowpiercer you're in, you are at a different stage of almost evolution. It's sort of technological evolution because the people further down in the spaceship had more time. So you go one floor up and it's all fields. But if Capaldi at the very top in the nose cone were to have yet another superfluous monologue, then that field would turn into a smoggy city. City, and the the floor above it would be the field, and the floor above it would be like Amish people, like oh we're churning butter, but we don't know what a wheel is, and uh, the floor above it is like oh holy moly, this is great, we're cave painting, which is <laughs> which is weird. cave painting. They they start off as staff on a colony spaceship. They would have a base level. Mm. I have a question, and I and I think this this is my punt for what Leon's negative is. Maybe is it something to do with why like why can only the like cybermen come up in the lift because when they went back in time 50 like all these years ago thousands of years ago like obviously like humans could go in the lift why can't everyone just use the lift why are they all stuck in this slum in the bottom with all the smoggy air and stuff and it takes them generations to climb up the ladders why can't people just use the lift? They were obviously designed for for people to use. Oh my goodness, that is the best question I have ever heard. That is so incredibly relevant to this. I did not consider that for a second. You're a genius, Marie. That's that has like in a moment undone this episode for me. No, no, because Operation it's a great Exodus episode. should just be like bing, press the lift, you know, call lift button. That's ep- Operation yeah. Exodus. Hey, you should don't I need to undergo shitty surgery? Yeah. Go into a lift. <laughs> hey guys, guys, I've got an idea. Should I go and check on the guys on deck 507? We haven't heard from them in a while, but I could just nip up. <laughs> yeah, because they literally right, come I'm, up. I'm changing like, my rating. I'm changing seconds. my rating right no, now. No, don't yeah, do no, no, no. You're, no, you're, you're absolutely right, Marie. I'm changing my rating. I'm lowering it by point three. <gasps> oh my god! Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> Shall I guess what your previous biggest beef was? Okay. Yeah. And yeah, which will also reveal my biggest beef. Okay, here we go. Bill's tear on the Cyberman. No, no, also not. That's a great idea. That's a such a good observation. No, also not my my biggest beef with this episode. Marie loved it. Yeah. Why not? Such history with Cyber Tears. Cyber Yvonne. Oh, no, there is no one doing that. Cyber Yvonne. Who's Cyber Yvonne? Cyber Yvonne is from Army of Ghosts slash Doomsday. The, the, the proto Theresa May saying, I did it for queen and country. And oh, she can, because yeah, she's patriotic, she can emote. Like, I was so honoured to serve this country. And now here is Cyber Boris Johnson. That's who Cyber Yvonne is. <laughs> and does she Cyber cry? Boris Johnson. Yes, she cries oily tears of um, anti-enjoyment. Dear. But I care more yeah, about it's Bill. All shit. It's really, it's really sad when you see the behind that Bill is still it's there. It's Cyber Yvonne Arty Val. Sorry, Marie. Carry Who's on, Marie. Val? Who's Auntie Val? From Friday dinner. Oh! oh! Yeah, I think she is. But no, let's go back to Bill and the Cyberman tear because it's, re- it's a really moving moment and I don't think the tear bothers me at all. And in fact, I was like, oh, <sighs> yay, that's where the tears come from, which makes no sense. That the, the tears have been recently would... so cheapened by Missy just doing it willy-nilly. Like, I feel like, really... They've been overdone in this series. But I feel like we've have we ever seen Bill cry before? I felt it from Bill. I really felt her like trying to reach out to the doctor and communicate with him. Well, I, I buy what you're saying. I do. And unfortunately, that is the only glimpse of Bill that is left available to us is a dive through the Cyberman's black hollow eye into her underneath. I don't want to think about all the questions that raises about exactly how much of the human anatomy is retained and the emotion, because oh, we're, that's going to ruin everything next week, I'm sure. And it's such a vexed question because of all the Cyber Yvonne history. But Liam, I believe you remember something from next week. <laughs> I, I do, yeah. I mean, I, I remember Bill not realising that she is a, 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 a Cyberman. And consequently, whenever we see, sorry, whenever we see a scene with Bill in it, we see it from two points of view. One being Bill's point of view, in which Bill is played as Bill. And the other being everyone else in which Bill is played by a Cyberman. And in this episode, Bill does not know even who Bill is. When it's like, can you tell me how to find Bill Potts? All right, hang on, I'm scanning the network, I'm scanning the network. Oh, I am Bill Potts. That's just a member of the collective. That's a Borg that you're talking to. Yeah. What they could have done is they could have had some short-circuiting when she says, I am Bill Potts. And then the surgeon could barge back in and be like, oh dear, oh dear, I get an extra line because I've been rewritten into this episode and I'm so good. I will sort you out, Bill. And then... I don't know, the Nardole does some Venusian Aikido and the doctor's like, oh, I guess you can do the two-handed version as well. And he's like, oh yeah, I've, I've done lots of things. I used to be blue. And, 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 and then a shorted out Bill can talk more coherently rather than just, I waited. Like, oh, great, really? Repeat that one more time. I waited. Yeah, yeah, I got that one before. Yeah, that might be a, a second negative that I haven't noted in my, in my list of bullet points, but a second negative for me, as in the resurrection of Bill, the post-cyberification resurrection of bill is never clarified in this episode oh but there 
is another 45 minutes in which they will be able to more That's fully true. treat it. That's true. I mean, an EMP is launched next to her and she goes, oh, I'm Bill. What are you talking about? I'm not a Cyberman. I'm just a human being. I make chips. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then she does. The doctor says, all right, then let's see them. And she just produces microchips in their thousands. Look at these chips. Delicious Bingo. chips. Are you going to eat some doctor? And he's like, he's holding one up close to his mouth. Really? She's like, go on, go on. You know, I make the best chips. It's like, uh, 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 and he has to swallow a microchip. Oh, oh, thanks, Bill Gates vaccine. Oh, no, nobody's buying that. I'll take it somewhere else. Yeah, sure. I'm buying it. That's slightly closer to my one single negative bullet point among my notes. Oh, in case it wasn't clear, by the way, you were totally wrong, Drew. Not my <laughs> one single negative <laughs> yep, yep. bullet point. I, I was way off. I thought me and Leon, we're like two peas in a pod. And no, we're, we're like two different varieties of peas entirely. In fact, Leon might even be a bean. <laughs> <laughs> Come on then, Mr. Bean. What is your single beef about this episode? Fine. Uh, when we flash back to the university, or the university kitchen specifically, Bill is uh, ferrying Doc around the kitchen. She peels a potato. She cuts the potato. She fries the potato. Before she fries the potato. There are two points to this negative, by the way. <laughs> Point one. Before she fries the potato. Yeah. She leaves a piece of potato behind. It fucked with me. Oh my God, did it annoy the shit out of me. Oh goodness, that all the rest of those chips are like full Swedish citizens. And you are the outsider chip left, never fried, just in this weird limbo imposed by the state. And you can never let it go. And it becomes a part of you and gnaws within you. And everybody okay. else gets eaten <laughs> and it just festers. And you're like, oh, fucking chips, Bill, you fucking piece of chip frying shit. Okay, Drew, stop trying to analyze me, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to be accepted! Someone has to pick up that chip, and that was a perfect chip. It just needed to be fried. Perfect chip. Ah, that would have made the best chip of all the chips. (laughs) But point number two. They are implying that she hand peels, hand chops, hand fries every single chip served in this kitchen. No. What are you on about? During a usual shift... A, a typical university weekday lunchtime, there is a whole staff and they are all on the production line, the chip production line. Someone is doing the chopping. Someone is doing the peeling. Someone is doing the frying. But yeah, when yeah. Bill sneaks in there after hours, of course she's going to do it all by herself. And she's been trained on all the various bits of it because sometimes people are away and she has to fill in for other parts of the chip Wait, making process. Wait, you think that there are lots of people peeling potatoes to make fresh chips for every student? No, that is a million percent not the St. case. St. Luke's no. University endowed a chair in chip peeling. And who are you? <laughs> oh, sorry, Marie's got something to say. No, I don't mean to cut you off mid-run. That sounded like you had something really important to say. Um, <laughs> I just, I, what I believe is that when the university students are there, they nobody's peeling chips, uh, potatoes, and cutting them up and making hand-frying chips. 
They're using like frozen chips from the whatever supermarket exactly. that are <laughs> trash. But Bill knows what goes into them and knows how disgusting they are. So she obviously if she's going in to make one set of chips for her and the doctor, then she's going to do it properly and take a potato. So she never does this normally. This is not her normal job. This is extra special chips for her and her friend. Yeah, Leon, these are proper gourmet chips from a potato. Triple fried. You know what? I buy it. I'm going to, I've already taken point three off my initial rating. I'm going to add point two onto it. Yeah, Leon, there's no need to be so chippy. (laughs) (laughs) Gone. Gone. (laughs) (laughs) We haven't really talked very much about the doctor. That's true. That is true, yeah. I guess he's not in it very much, other than in slow-mo. I think that's a fair point, a fair argument. Yeah, he he doesn't do that much, but there's a lot revealed about the Doctor's relationship with other people in this one. I I mean, there's the obvious argument of like, holy smokeroonies and cheesecakes, Doc really cares about Bill because dot dot dot. But there's also something revealed about Doc's relationship with the Master, slash with Missy. Oh, those are some of my favourite bits. I know that this reaches back to Doctor Who lore. I don't know how much it adds to the classic setup of the Doctor Who okay, and the Master. Yeah, reaches back. Sorry, yeah. the Doctor and Master in the Academy. Mm. But I've really liked having it at least recapped. Mm. And the bit that really got me, although Bill's emotional intelligence is off the charts when she leaps straight to, oh, so you want her to be good so that when you see you in herself via the similarities, you are less insecure about whether you're good or not i i did still really love how well first of all i liked when the doctor said she's my best friend and bill's like why and he's like i don't know and that in itself would be a surprising lovely answer and then Mm. then she takes him up on it and makes him say the real reason and that's even better ah loved it yeah i totally agree yeah i'm with you as well i mean that's just where moff is like this scene is great but i'm gonna make it even better and i miss that that's what I really do oh, miss. Yeah, me too. You think we've reached the peak? I haven't peaked yet, baby. Here we go. This Stick is a with me. Total, We're in for a peaky ride. It's a total segue, and it should be in that we said we would do a um, little bonus now that we know um, RTD's coming back. But We're I was still going like, to do that. Which we will, so I'll probably repeat this, but I was looking through like the list, like episode list from RTD's era, and every single episode that to me is a standout episode was Moffat. Like, I just, oh, really? I missed that. Yeah, it really was. Oh, that's <laughs> super duper interesting. Like, I, when he's I, good, he's so good. Yeah. And this was really good. Agreed, yeah. Yeah. When RTD's good, he's really good too. But Well, we, we can we'll, debate we'll, that in that. a couple of weeks, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But let's talk about the Doctor's relationship with Bill as well, because I really liked uh-huh. those scenes. Like you've talked about it in relationship to the doc that to the Doctor and the Master, but actually showing how well that Bill knows her and their friendship, and that like there was a scene when they were sat on the bench, and it really felt like he was coming to her for advice. She wasn't just a, a companion that was along for the ride. She she came out with this like the the. Missy scares me and it was super super powerful and it really felt like the doctor was listening to her and so many times we've seen him just kind of brush companions aside and be like well I know better and so I just really liked that kind of setup for their relationship um yeah maybe that's because he's really scared by her a bit as well yeah maybe she's just a mirror to him and then it was kind of like I think they were kind of cutting in between that and then Bill in the present dying with this big fuck off hole-making gun that comes right through the center of her. Um, 
Did you remember this happening, by the way, or were you shocked by this when it happened? I was to- I was really shocked by this. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness! Yes. I'm going to make a prediction yeah. that KJ Evans is going to be like, <laughs> "Wow, I didn't remember Bill getting knocked off this early." Yeah. Oh, oh, that, that's a bold prediction. KJ Evans is always really alive to when things are expected to happen in an episode, and this was ridiculously early. Um, but yeah, and then I feel like the Doctor was in the middle of this super powerful speech and that's the speech that he normally gives that make makes everyone in the room stop and listen to him <laughs> so he's like you don't know me now but in a few minutes you'll trust me with your life and and he was <laughs> to kind of talking this guy down and he got him to like focus away from bill and he thought that she was safe and we all kind of breathed a sigh of relief and was like okay bill's not gonna die and then the countdown ended drew from the yes. lift numbers um yes. and we finally got to zero and then uh-huh. just boom like and it, yeah i feel like it was so unexpected because you know you don't i don't know i don't know how she's expected to recover from a wound like that and we don't normally see a companion just like taken down that quickly so yeah i thought that was a very powerful moment as well yeah and the way that they interleaved all the scenes exactly what mm. they failed to do in fact in extremists this is exactly how you should do it and how you should arrange an episode that's running on multiple different time scales or you're, you're inserting flashbacks that run parallel. This is the perfect example. And so it just makes how they fucked up extremists even more baffling. But yeah, in, in answer, in, in summary, woof! <laughs> but this is also why I don't like countdowns because time isn't just numbers. Time doesn't know what numbers are, but we humans have turned it into some weird accounting game death cult so that we can be classified as production units in an economy whereas time is just you're here until you're not and that's the beauty the purity the simplicity of time a countdown is a disgusting vulgarization bastardized concept of time Leads to really nothing like, but, but sadness. I really like the like we always say it's great when they take an episode and play with time travel. Like it's a time travel show, and to do that within episode is fantastic. But yeah, taking this concept of like on one spaceship near a black hole that time travels differently, it was such a like interesting and different way of doing it. Yeah, and it, it actually made be- sense for the countdown yeah. to slow down as it got nearer deck zero 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 because the time speed became more adjacent to what they were experiencing exactly yeah it was so nice yeah that the the, the countdown wasn't a linear countdown like uh, yeah whatever but yeah what were you gonna say well just as a concept isn't this insanely clever oh i Mm. absolutely adore it it's possibly my favorite time ending wibbly wobble of the entire show today oh sweet christmas (laughs) yeah i loved it And I also loved, like, there was this mystery set up at the start. So there's the blue guy in the room, and he's like, we started off with 50, and now there's thousands of life forms. Where did they all come from? Nobody boarded us. Nobody was hiding. Like, you know, and I'm sat there racking my brain being like, well, they must have been on board anyway. And then as soon as you understand how the time fluctuates and what it actually means on this ship it it just makes perfect sense and it's it's beautiful so where was this ship from Mon- Mon- Monda, mondas 
Was it coming from Mondas or was it heading to Mondas? I think it was coming from there. It was a Mondasian yeah. ship. Yeah, they were going to establish a Mondasian colony. Yeah. Wait, they were. Wait, 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 wait. wait they wait, were wait, going wait. to establish a Mondasian colony. Yeah, that's what they you do when you send out a colony ship. Yeah, it was a colony ship. The col- so there were. F- it was yeah. Mondasians that were going to go somewhere else. Yeah, in the name. Wait, so they started on Mondas. Yeah, and they yeah. had this blue guy oh. who's like a space janitor, and he happened to. Why did they have a blue guy? <laughs> the Mondasians aren't blue; they're yeah, they're but, humans. But also, the Mondasians aren't time lords, so they allow species from other planets to live on their own planet because the Mondasians aren't monsters. No, something's missing here. Something is absolutely. They missing had here. to have a non-human there to to be a reason why he survived and. Bill had to be the one taken away. The blue guy was essential. I don't think it matters how he got there, what wrinkle in Mondasian history, what first contact happened between the Mondasian and the blue man planet. I'm just willing to accept it as necessary. Explain your theory. It's a colony ship. Yep. It starts on Mondas. It does. Or in Mondas's orbit, maybe, because it's a pretty big thing. But only like 20 people are on board. Well, that's something that the episode actually gets a bit wrong, because I think they mentioned 50 to beginning and 20 go off. But yeah, okay, 20, 50, whatever. Fine, 50. Make it 50. One of them is blue. Uh He's not from Mondas. But they are a colony ship. So a colony ship you would expect to have way more. Like you would expect it to have thousands, if not millions of people on board. So they said it, they were they were like going on ahead. No, it doesn't I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. They were like setting exactly. up the colony, but it was so big. They like they said in the beginning it was unusually big even for a colony ship. It was like however many hundred miles wide and tall and Right? Like I mean it, it almost seems as though this is a colony ship sent by someone else who employs lots of people from lots of different planets, e.g. whatever planets the blue dude is from. And they're on their way to Mondas okay. to pick up Mondasians and take them somewhere else. Okay. In yeah. between, they encounter this uh, black, hole. black hole. They have their whole cyber manifications situation. Maybe at some point in the future, they escape from that. They still go to Mondas. Mm. And then they introduce the Cyberman technology to Mondas. Okay, that's a lovely that makes, theory. So what's the problem? That makes sense, yeah. No, that does make sense, but I don't feel... I feel like that's what this story is saying. I feel like this story is saying, oh, hey, this is Mondas. Like, Mondas is basically 50 people, but that's not the case. Mondas was a planet. Mondas was no, no, the equivalent no. of the Earth. They, yeah, exactly. Like, Missy found the planet and she was like, it, oh, it looked really similar to Earth. Oh, no, what could it be? Blah, blah, blah. That's yeah. Mondas. It was, this was never supposed to be the entirety of Mondas. It was... What, what did she say then? Is this where the, where the ship is heading? This isn't a point this of criticism. This is the thing I can't remember. Point. This is more of a question, really. Like, yeah, is it maybe, heading there or is it coming from there? I thought it was coming from there, but I, maybe I misremembered. Yeah, I think she may say this ship is from Mondas. Let's revisit the blue guy now. Okay. George. Because, yeah, George. Lovely George. And um, Hugh Bonneville. And he's like, he thinks <laughs> these creatures are grabbing every human in sight. Yep. But there's uh-huh. no humans on his level. Oh, Does so that's just... where the other 30 of the 50 went, because 20 went and then Mondasian's patients came up and grabbed yeah. the other 30. The other 29. So meanwhile, sorry. there's been a couple of hundred years down below and they've started experimenting with the cyber technology and then they send them up to grab humans. 
But why do they need to? There's so many humans on the bottom floor. Like there's humans everywhere that are dying out. You're for this, right. Yeah. Um, oh, that, that want no. this oh, surgery. No. Oh no! I'm dying sorry. now, but I'm subtracting another decimal. Oh no! Why on earth? What possible reason? You clever Marie Dagnabbit. Oh, Marie, oh, you Dagnabbit. This, this was a 20 this seconds before the ratings. Oh. <laughs> I should stop talking. I'm so sorry. I don't want <laughs> Keep talking. You're enlightening us fools who claim to love this episode. <laughs> no, I love this episode. I'm just trying, I'm just trying to understand it. If he's... No, because he could have been on this top level for just two days. That's fine. He absolutely like, that doesn't was, need yeah. to be... Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, that's fine. No, that's, that's all fine. I mean, I, I don't know that it is all fine. I feel like you've just opened our eyes to a massive flaw in this episode. <laughs> I mean, wait, wait. No, oh, here we go. It still doesn't make sense. But on some <laughs> level, they are... <sighs> talking about taking over the entire ship they know that on the very top deck time is moving super slowly they can see these people in their monitors why they can't see the people on deck 507 in their monitors i don't know i guess there weren't cameras installed on that deck in the same way so maybe maybe this is just a bit of a prelude so they don't have people coming down from the top saying wait citizens of mondas this was not why we left wherever we left or were on the way to in fact this is a, this is abhorrent what have you done and other people would be like oh look it's our <coughs> distant ancestors we must revere them and everyone else who's behind operation exodus is like no this is unnecessarily complicated politicking if only a few years ago, but a mere hour ago in their time, we had gone back up in the lift and taken them away and thus crushed the dissent and opposition. You see where I'm going with this. Sure. Um, the other thing that I just thought of is maybe like they're doing a whole bunch of experimentation on these Cybermen. It's not like they have a system and they know how it works. And everyone on their level is got, you know, horrid lungs from all the factory fumes <laughs> and whatever. And the lungs. <laughs> Maybe it's like, oh, okay, at the top levels, there's healthy humans that haven't lived for ah. centuries in smog. Like, we can take them and experiment on them and see... Yeah, they're pure virgin alveoli. <laughs> exactly. They're untouched when... bronchioles. And they can I'm... decide over decades, like, wh- when they go up and grab them. Like, they're not moving yeah. anywhere. I mean, surely surely that would be a massive temptation, wouldn't it? Like, look at those suckers. They are sitting ducks. We can sneak up on them whenever we like. I mean, even if I didn't have an evil plan to take over the spaceship, I'd probably just prank the shit out of them. <laughs> Mm. like the stanford prison experiment it's like yeah. i start off thinking i'm a good guy and then i'm like <laughs> they'll never see it coming <laughs> <laughs> well i wonder if in the next episode we're going to encounter humans slash mondasians on the other floors because i'm pretty sure that we do go to the the amish floor like i'm yeah, pretty yeah. sure that we go to a floor where everything is nice and green and peachy and everything is lovely yeah i think so so there will be people there mm. why are there people 
people there. I guess because some split off before the city was founded or they were like, we'll take, I don't know, a few of us will take 100 decks each or something. We'll split it up. Yeah, but why haven't they been taken over by the snubbers? Part of the 20 that went down, they, yeah, one of them was like, I'll, you guys carry on the lift, I'll stay here. Well, two of them at least. Two of them were really noisy lovemakers and they were like, we need 500 (laughs) decks at least between you and us. We are so sick of hearing mum yes yeah. exactly you before we away. born and we have kids and then i guess this means our kids are gonna have to born this is the most incestuous spaceship <laughs> there ever was exactly. it is yeah. revolting that's why they're so weak that's why their lungs are incapable of dealing with the slightest particulate that is horrendous well i mean nothing is as incestuous as you stepping out of a portal and going hey me let's burn so <laughs> actually <laughs> Hey, these guys are not okay. making babies. You know what? Touche. <laughs> <laughs> we need to talk about how Stephen Moffat clearly spent a lot of his 1960s slash 70s childhood as a sickly child patient in a terrifyingly dreary NHS hospital. Because this setup comes up over and over again so many times from the very first episode he wrote from Doc- of Doctor Who in series one right back in RTD days. It, was it called The Lonely Child or mm. something? Yeah. Yeah, oh, they're yeah, all yeah. in there the gas mask people they are lined up in beds on a ward and it only continues from there i think listen is another one there are loads he's done this loads of times it's a motif it's a meme it's a trope yeah but doesn't he do it well okay so he never does it better than here i think mm. this although perhaps one could quibble with how many times you need to repeat pain 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 that did start to drag a bit but the way they let bill move so painfully slowly through all the rooms because time in hospital does weirdly slow down Mm. and that just fits with the theme of the episode even more and you're so ginger with all your movements and just fearful of what the next jolt will bring okay it all fits were you expecting uh, one of the cybermen to go are you my mummy <laughs> well mr razor basically goes you are like my mummy to her yeah he does which is really weird yes, that's true. Yeah. nice <laughs> um the thing that i really liked as well about the hospital is when bill goes and realizes about the volume control and turns it up and he hears this like pain 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 and kill me kill me kill me and then just quickly turns it down again and it's not that she's like uncaring but it is this like you can't like you said it starts to grate on you if this just constant like pain 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 and there's nothing you can do about it like she just silences it i think that's so like that's super super dark um yeah, it's oh, it so dark. all right yeah absolutely yeah. there's an element of realism there whereby she just goes yeah you're already lost mate like like you're yeah. so far gone. There's nothing I can do to save you. But you saying "kill me" very loudly might cause someone else to hurt me. So I'm just going to turn you down. It's oh harrowing. I feel like it's superhuman, though. I feel like even if you take out the psychopaths that are going to come and kill me element out of it, I can imagine a lot of people. If it's the choice of hearing that constantly, day in day out, or or knowing that you can't help that person and silencing it for the benefit of your own mental health. I guess. Oh, yeah, that's that's... why people leave Twitter all the time. Well, yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
I mean, Twitter is just, you, you wake up in the morning and you're like, ooh, what's happened on Twitter today? And someone shared a funny video and someone else has tweeted something completely trivial. And then in the middle, it's just pain, pain, pain. <laughs> and you're like, okay, I'm putting that down to at least lunchtime. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really good analogy. <laughs> Far removed from Doc's relationship with Missy, he says he wants to rescue Missy because she is the only person he has ever known to be even remotely like him, which I think is possibly the the first and until now possibly the only time that the Doctor has characterized his antagonist slash best friend ever in this way. Oh, really? I can only remember an oblique reference to it in talking about how their relationship was deeper than I'm guessing it was Clara at the time could possibly understand being deeper and more complex than human civilizations. She is my mm. friend, despite all the appearances. But yeah, it didn't go into this level of detail. And I, I really did like the excavation of that here. As did I. I think it's absolutely wonderful. It's beautiful. It's a lovely callback to the... I mean, sorry, it's not a callback back to Classic Who, but the same way in which Moff manages to reinvent Classic Who Cybermen, he also manages, in a sense, to reinvent the Doctor-Master relationship. But, I mean, it's bullshit, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I oh, love it, but no. it is utter BS, isn't it? It's like, oh yeah, no, it. I, I love no. this character. Yeah, you remember I'm... when this character turned me into a tiny person and treated me like a parakeet while uh, she, at the time he, <laughs> was Prime Minister of the UK? That was great! That was absolutely great. No, no, I really owe this character a uh, solid. No, but this I character should something... be dumped into a volcano. Sorry? No, no. <laughs> a I volcano. There's something to be said for like sharing your like childhood or youth or how I don't know how age works when you're a time lord but like your formative years with someone and the impact that you have on each other and this idea that we were going to go we see the stars together we wanted to see every star in the universe like this is big wild imaginative like dreams of youth that don't like that never come into fruition you always have these massive ideas when you're a teenager and yeah, then we we're going to tour the world and be in a band and exactly yeah that's right it's the equivalent of that and then obviously your past <laughs> diverged and you went in different directions but it doesn't mean that yeah. you don't still have that core of like well they once were Fine. a good person <laughs> I mean, in brackets, I still love it, but like, still, isn't that insane? It is rather insane, but also the, the Doctor knows how similar they were and knows that the Master stared into the, what do they call it, the void, the unquenchable void. That's it, the untempered well schism. And the Doctor doesn't want to think, if I said into the untempered schism, that would be me right there, right? Uh, and I'd never be able to come back. That's so interesting. There's yeah. a lot there's a lot going Ooh, on. Oh, I don't know if that is because I feel like that's saying that if if he stared into the untempered schism, he'd be stronger than the master and it wouldn't have turned him into this evil person. That's not quite the same as saying I see so many similarities. I could have that could have been me. I think that's the thing is it's sort of nature like, versus nurture, isn't it? Like it, it I, yeah, I, I feel like I, I'm sorry, I've just cut you off there, Marie, but it seems as though you're going the nature route and Drew, you're going the nurture route. No, and no, no, uh, I, I don't think I am. I think I'm going the nurture route. I think I'm I'm disagreeing oh, okay. with Drew, but saying like I feel like the doctor thinks that if circumstances were different, that could have been him. Like and so yeah. he needs to prove that the master slash Missy is a good person deep down to prove that 
Like, it's not... Yeah, exactly. Like, Doc could have been the master had he just had a really shit time of it. Yeah, yeah. There but for the the grace of avoiding the schism, go I. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But also, I think that the Doctor sharing that history with the master and being so close to them thinks, well, if that had been me i would be counting on my best buddy right to stick yeah, exactly because, yeah 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 i wouldn't want to just be abandoned to the, it's not that the master is completely a villain they are but in some ways they are also a victim okay a, a genuine yeah. question for both of you how would you feel about a prequel series of doctor who that looks at the doctor master relationship before the master stared into the schism time lord so class wouldn't wouldn't that be more interesting than class though? My you know exactly issue where it's going to end. Would yeah. be that we saw because they already <laughs> visualized. Sorry, because we already right. saw on screen like the master staring into the schism, and he was a very small boy. That if anything pre-schism, they would just have to be children. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean that's a fair point. I'd forgotten about like, that. If but they have been adults, you could you see rewrite it. They're like twenty-one, twenty-two when they are faced yeah. with a schism. So now we can have like a Buffy-esque series where they have to go through the trials and tribulations of Time Lord Academy and it's freaking incredible because you know that these two BFFs are going to be absolute worst enemies for a little while. Well, I tell you what, if RTD, Mr. Spin-Off Series Galore, is listening, yeah. then there's an idea. That's right, yeah. And I'll, actually, actually you too. could do it at that age range where, um, I don't know if you've seen the like the new adaptation of the his dark materials and they're kind of like on the cusp of adulthood that's a mm. good age and maybe that that could be like the age when they show you the schism when you're like about to turn into going from teenagers uh, total bingo i just don't want them to be small small children i feel like that would ruin it no i wouldn't want to watch that either <laughs> that, that would be an you, absolute nightmare if you want it to run and run then and you don't want the actors to suddenly age out of the believable age range then you gotta cast them fairly young so the simple way to get around this is either to cgi it like you have long recommended or to animate it that's right and we'll do the voices and it'll be great i'm a million percent on board thank you very much for that suggestion drew (laughs) that's an excellent idea yes absolutely uh i accept and what i suggested a few minutes ago is that we call it better call rassilon love it love it yes absolutely there's Effectively, it's the kind of aesthetic that you see in Dark. Dark is also high school age. Yeah. You do the Uh, same thing, but it's all on Gallifrey. You leave out all the nonsense of class, and you just make this about two characters. Like, the whole thing. You have lots of other characters as well. Obviously, you introduce other... It's fine, BBC. You'll still be able to produce action figures, but (laughs) it's all about these two characters. Oh, The many saints of Gallifrey. Marie, did you like the Red Dwarf-esque sort of introduction of the giant ship? It's in my notes! It's in my notes! Of course I did! It was fantastic! <laughs> Such a good <laughs> intro. All spaceships should be introed in that way. It, it, sorry, explain this to uh, a layman. I have not watched Red Dwarf. Please explain. <laughs> It's just like the very famous intro of Red Dwarf is just this massive, massive ship and the camera like like flies alongside the um, edge of it. So you get a really close up of all the like nitty gritty nuts and bolts and things. And it's all very dynamic and cool. And it just was filmed in a very similar way to the um, Red Dwarf intro, which I really, really loved. Oh, I need to watch this show. You really do. 
I really, I, I really liked the time they took over the introduction in general because it, mm. while the pace after that was unrelentingly fast until Bill was in the hospital, it really keyed us to the grand scale and epic scope of this adventure. Yeah, exactly. Because we don't often get spaceships that are that big and that sort of like you know normally you're just you just plopped in the middle and you see like our room and a bunch of corridors and that's it but yeah, maybe some dinosaurs us... <laughs> yeah but if you're gonna make us believe that there's like can be a thousand years difference between the top floor and the bottom floor then you really need to show the scale of it so it was nice that they did that yeah you're talking about there being a thousand years between the top and the bottom brings me on to another point i had which i thought was pernickety and might be a problem but i've rationalized it away which oh. was if the cctv cameras on deck zero 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 make the mondasians appear why doesn't blue george just knock them out and i thought it would have been nice if the doctor or missy had mm. said why don't you just get rid of it and he's like i try but i start to reach up towards the camera and suddenly they yeah. appear and lift behind me yeah because they've got all that time to see what he's doing and intercept him yeah and why is mondasian yeah that's yeah why isn't there a reverse CCTV, by the way? Because it's not like the Mondasians, as in, it's not like the bottom floor, the ground floor set up those cameras. They were just installed in the spaceship. So why isn't there a reverse CCTV where you press it and you it's it's like that animation of the dead fox decomposing? You know, like it, It's basically <laughs> just, you know, holy moly, civilizations rising and falling. Oh, I on see. The lower decks. Uh, what you're asking is, why is it that everybody's looking in on the control room rather than in every other control room in fiction and fact history? The control room is watching everybody else. I mean, surely there's a camera on every deck, not just one. There yeah. must be a million cameras on every deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We stumbled on a, <laughs> a closely related problem that I can't argue away. What else have you got on your list? Well, I, I just made a note which chronicled the shot of bill from the shoulders up the doctor turns there's a close-up on bill then back to the blue guy and then we pan down to the big hole in her chest and i wrote after that this is michael-sized bigness <laughs> like at that point i was utterly enchanted by the episode i was ready to give it a 5.0 i think the first act is some of the best telly like in general interesting oh Honestly. very interesting <laughs> i know you had a, i know you had a problem with missy's over the topness but that's the only thing though that's the only that's a very small aspect of act one yeah yeah yeah. But... i do think acts two and three are stronger than act one but fine i'll i, really? I can read oh yeah really? it's the other way around because i think yeah, missy being over the top played by michelle gomez is exactly what should be happening and so mm. you can't over the top over the top it's just a, a even greater flood of endorphins and dopamine just completely I, just I don't understand what you wanted missy to be if she was less over the top and more reined in I, i'm to be clear i'm only <laughs> complaining about one aspect of one character's depiction in this entire episode that's all i'm complaining about i i you sure if she were to tone it down a little bit be slightly less characteristic in act one yeah i think that would be better but it by no means diminishes the value of Act 1. Act 1, for me, is basically just the, the jam and red string of this ship is uh, really, really long, and it's pointed at uh, a black hole. Yeah, but we, only, 
we, amazing. We only learn that after we've had all the stuff that we were talking about, about how the Doctor and the Master were in the Academy together and the way their characters reflect upon each other and how they see them. He sees himself in her. Okay, that is a fair point. All right, hang on. Wait, there are more things piling into Act 1 <laughs> as I speak. There's also the preamble of, oh, what am I going to do with this renegade piece of potato? Oh, you know what? Who cares? Yeah, right? It's just going to be there. <laughs> That's all you know Act what, 1, and you know that's what was fine. wrong with Act 1 is no, that it, nothing, didn't, nothing. it didn't carry on. Like, I really want to see an adventure where Missy is, in, is the boss and Nodal uh, and Bill are her companions. Because uh, they got split up too quickly. It would have been really yeah. fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do, you don't, do you not think it would have been unsustainable and that's why Moffat completely front-loaded it with too many lines for Leon's liking, but just enough for our liking? <laughs> 45 maybe, minutes yeah. of that because maybe got a bit tiresome. Maybe, Ooh. maybe. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we I didn't mean, get a lot of Nardole in this episode at all, actually. Oh, we got... But, uh, that's fine. Oh, of course. Yeah. Of co- I, I suspect that that's not going to be registered on the microphone. But yeah, of course you did not like the uh, cheek <laughs> wobblage. Never said that. Never said that. Your word's not mine. Okay, fine. <laughs> That's my assumption based on your cheek wobblage reenactment. But in general, how did you guys feel about Nardole? Nardole is fun. I liked when Nardole was saying, look, he's emoting. Look, take a picture. Can I take a selfie of you while you're emoting? Oh, <laughs> It's hilarious, yeah. yeah. I feel like, I do feel like the Docking Bill were having a way. moment there and then Nardole just came in and like shat all over it. Yeah. And it works. Yeah. I, I feel like Act 1 is so playful. Mm. and But it's it's playful on a very solid base so that stuff is happening and you can appreciate the stuff that's happening and the stuff over the top of it, the, the little self-awareness on Moffat's part, I suppose, because he knows that he, maybe he needs to undercut something or it'll get too schmaltzy. I just think it's all perfectly pitched. I really do. I really love those 15 minutes. Yeah. I feel like that's a guy on top of his game. He's he's a guy who can see the words that he's written on the screen. And he knows, maybe because of the confidence in the crew or the confidence in his cast or his own writing or just all of it, he knows that this is good enough and it will make great television. And it does. And i got to give him so much credit for that. Mm. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Well, apart from, a bit from Act 2 was, did, did anyone like right. raise his explanation of top and bottom? He gets a can and goes, top, bottom. <laughs> See? Yes. See, okay, okay. So he was the one who I thought was maybe slightly too much. Like, oh. if, like, like if anything. Oh, it I was loved too, him. <laughs> did you? I thought he was too much a little bit, actually. I absolutely um, loved him. I mean, aside from the fact that it's insane that he spends years and years and years... <laughs> suppressing his own individuality in favor of this fiction that is of no value to anyone except his own amusement, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I, I, I still loved it. He reminded me a lot of a character on Babylon 5. When Captain Sheridan falls down the chasm in Khazadum, holy moly, at the bottom of it, he encounters his own sort of Virgil who ferries him through hell. And this this dude oh, is nice. exactly like that. It's very similar to that. Loved it. Oh, where my B5 head's at. By the way, Babylon 5 being where rebooted my right now. Heads at? Being rebooted right now. Nice. I liked how Mr. Razor 
slash the master, set himself up as, oh, I couldn't possibly be more than Mr. Razor by saying something that was really obviously false at the beginning, going, it was a clever lie. <laughs> but his, yeah. his clever lie is to pretend that that's the cleverest lie that mm. he can concoct. And it's so orroborosy, eating itself, delicious logic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Absolutely lovely. That was sorry, a red dwarf. Um, <gasps> it was? Orroboros. Yes, it was. That was that yes. Was well done, Drew. You'll get that when you watch Red Dwarf Leon. Yeah, oh. tomorrow because you can't stay away from it a moment longer, right? <laughs> yeah. I will have to watch this show. Great callback, Drew. <laughs> Bravo. Nice. Oh, I also have one more thing that that maybe is a problem. Oh, okay. Oh. I think we have to let it go. Maybe this close to a black hole will never be able to pilot her accurately, says the doctor when he's landed in the perfect place in the control room. And we already know that he manages to leave. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that is an interesting... He was aiming for the bottom floor, so the control room was already a wild myth. Is it the fact that he can physically get it right, but he can't temporally get it? Does he have to travel back 1,000 years in order to get to the bottom floor? Or does he just have to travel across space in order to get there? It's very interesting, actually. It's a shame that they didn't explore it. To go back in time to pick Bill up before she's had to wait all these years for us. So it would have been traveling back in time on a space and time. I I feel like that could have been an act in and of itself. But but that's very interesting. It's incredible how clever this spaceship idea is. And and it's so great how it interweaves with them watching on the video. It enables everything else. They've really maximized the concept, as well as introducing the concept. They could have just given it a half-assed go, but they haven't. They've nailed it first time. Do you know the thing that really bothered me, though, was when he'd the Doctor threw his sonic screwdriver up in the air, and there was a still frame of it at the highest point, and then Bill sat on the sofa going, oh, now he's throwing his uh, screwdriver in the air. This means he's about to... Yeah, it's been like two months since you let go of that thing. Yeah, exactly. You should know by the movement of his hand what he's about to do, or like, as soon as it's left his hand. He's not just dropped it, has he? Come on. Yeah, Yeah. but I mean, that is another thing, though. So you're the doctor, you're on the top floor. You know that every millisecond you spend is a Mm. year or more uh, downstairs mm. maybe maybe hurry up like maybe don't spend that much time dilly dallying and doing all kinds of uh, monologuing nonsense just fucking yeah. get on with it oh well in, in, your in that regard union. in that regard surely when blue george has the gun out and the doctor's saying Oh, don't worry, I can take her away in the TARDIS. Rather than going into his speech, surely the thing he should do is to say, hey, you didn't know I was here, right? When I was in the TARDIS, you couldn't detect my life sign. I will just take Bill back in there. Won't be able to detect her either. The lifts will stop. Okay, good. Nobody gets shot. End of episode. We'll go. (laughs) You should have written this, Drew. But I also like the fact that that isn't what occurs to him because he has this speech. He is undone by his own ego, which, by the way also ties in with well if missy acts like me then i know she's good because he's got such an inflated sense of himself okay on some level he's got a deep insecurity but he also equates goodness with acting like him fairly (laughs) concretely yeah 
so I buy it. Yeah, I buy it too. I, the, exactly the same thought process. Like, this is super dumb and you need to just act, not talk about it. But this is just what he does. Like, he loves to explain his thought process to everyone. Yeah, and we've seen this speech work before, so that it doesn't this no. time. I mean, who's been who's been coating this string with this jam? <sighs> I still love it. I still only have the one bullet point left yeah, yeah. on my this list. Is, I'm done now. I'm done. And I feel like it might be a segue from uh, what you just mentioned, Marie, namely the Sonic. Ooh. I hate this Sonic, by the way. I have always hated this Sonic. Why does this Sonic have a pen in the middle of it? <laughs> That scene where Doc pulls the Sonic apart because in the middle, because it turns out the Sonic is actually just half of the device. It's half magic marker, half Sonic. The Sonic is like the size of a thumb. Clearly, it's because that's what the BBC are selling. Um, the sonic screwdrivers that turn into a magic marker. So they just want to enact it out for us all to see. Yeah, yeah, I hate it. I like it for the pure shock element. It's like, oh, <laughs> hilarious. And then I stopped thinking about it and wasn't <laughs> dissolved from the inside out by bitterness. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. Shazamatron, and welcome to the uh, our minis section of this podcast episode. I lost the uh, fingertip on uh, tip of nose game, hence I am starting. I'm going to start with a doc. He's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. This episode allows Capaldi to sort of dazzle us with a range of emotions and a range of emotionally nuanced micro performances. He's not in it for that much necessarily. However, when Moff deploys the Capaldi, holy smokes, do we get a show? Like there's vulnerability wrapped in cockiness. He's he's great. Only point of criticism of Doc, not Capaldi, would be that, as I sort of alluded to before, that when every second spent is costing his friends years of her life, then perhaps he ought to forego the pontificating just for a moment. Uh, about the com- uh, companions, Nardole, he is uh, <laughs> yeah, he is fine. Uh, Bill, actually, you know what? Let's put a pin in that. I'll, I'll get back to Bill. Missy, I found her, as I said, a little OTT uh, up until when they finally head downstairs, at which point she became the Missy that I always love and enjoy. The master, though, as in the John Sim version, what a hilariously architect Typal performance, very Igor, very what's-his-face from Babylon 5, I still can't remember his name. But also, thank you very much, Marie, for bringing this to my attention. Why? Why this persona? It's utter nonsense. Don't care, I still love it. The Cybers, creepy, tragic, beautifully crafted, wonderful thing to do just to sort of justify and reinterpret their naff-looking origins. Bill! This episode is not all, but mostly hers. If anyone had any doubts about Bill making us care or about Pearl Mackey's skills and as an actor in general, then, pal, you have no heart and must be fitted with a vending machine. I really wish we'd have had more time with Bill. She's a fantastic companion. I don't remember tons about the next episode, but I'm pretty sure that I recall being heartbroken. 
Here's my main takeaway from this episode. It is clever. It, in fact, is really, really clever. The space station time dilation effect and it filling up with a whole civilization in a matter, in a matter of days is a really juicy bit of clever. So bravo, Moff. This balances fun, high-concept sci-fi and uh, gut-wrenching drama in a fantastic way, in a way that doesn't come around all that often. And for that reason, before we press record tonight, I had, in fact, written 5.0. Wow. But you guys have talked me down just a teensy, weensy little bit. And I have then talked myself back up again because I'm giving this a 4.9. It it is almost perfect. Very nice. Who's next? I'm next. I'm going to start my rating by reading some lines from a poem by Andrew Marvell. Which is called To His Coy Mistress. Oh, I'm glad you brought this up. I made Jim look up. I couldn't remember the name of the poem. I made him look this it's up. It's the only trivia bullet point on in my document, yeah. <laughs> in my notes. Yeah. Had we but world enough and time, this coyness lady were no crime. A hundred years should go to praise thine eyes and on thy forehead gaze. An age at least to every part, and the last age should show your heart. But at my back I always hear time's winged chariot hurrying near, and yonder all before us lie deserts of vast eternity thy beauty shall no more be found nor in thy marble vault shall sound my echoing song so nice so that just adds another layer to what i think is one of moffat's great achievements in his involvement in doctor who Moving on to my rating, I'm happy to repeat myself. The first 15-minute stretch is, I think, among the best such intervals of all of Doctor Who or all of television. Exposition and comic relief, not being names or functions, but genders, is the most sumptuous four-dimensional joke. It describes the characters, their roles, and in tracking through time, also manages to be a much subtler and more enjoyable way of breaking the fourth wall than having the Whisper Men look at you. He's learnt so much, he's still getting better dracula aside the last 30 minutes are almost as good as the preceding 15 but not quite there for me they just slow down a shade and then we have the crying theme resurrected right at the end which is the only thing about this episode that makes me the slightest bit salty okay as leon said peter capaldi is not present as much as in some other episodes but when he does appear he's almost flawless the cold open is basic and cheesy but one cannot deny its allure as a hook Bill, great. Nardo, just the right amount. Missy, oh, I can't even say more, please, because you've given us so much. So minus 0.1 from Mondasian Cybertier, minus 0.1 composed of multiple fractions and shades of imperfection, that it would be too niggardly of me to fully catalogue 4.8. Rude. Oh, exciting. Interesting. Mm. Um, so I will start my review by saying I want to follow on from what Leon sort of ended with was that like I enjoyed this so much I was on such a high from watching this the only thought I had was I wish I'd watched it earlier in the week rather than today so that I would have had time to watch it again before recording this I just feel like I just as soon as it ended I wanted to like turn it back on again and watch it again I just thoroughly thoroughly from start to finish enjoyed it all I enjoyed all the characterization the doctor was amazing Missy oh just second everything that Drew has said ignore Leon he doesn't know what he's talking about Um, right here um (laughs) Bill was fantastic the master slash 
the, oh, well, I forget his name again. The Igor character was fantastic. The Cybermen were so, so, so cool. Like, I loved this kind of origin story of where they came from and how they, you know, they're the closest to people that we've seen before. You can kind of see the human face under this sock because i think in the past we've you know we've seen a human person encapsulated in this metal machine but as soon as the face goes on it's very hard to you know remember who they are and then you know the last one we had was danny with his like the shield came off and there was this really hanging stretched face underneath and yeah yeah it was just i don't know but so the these was like the missing link in the kind of Cyberman evolution. And I loved it. And I loved the spaceship and the time dilation and everything. Like just everything we've talked about. I just adored it. I really, really struggled to find fault with it. I did the same as Julian. I started on a five and I was like, I'm going to see if anyone talks me down. And I think of everyone, I've probably talked myself or you <laughs> down more than anyone else, which I regret. <laughs> I want to go back and just like slap tape on my mouth and be like, don't ask these questions. They don't need to be answered. So it's not a perfect episode, but I almost don't care. So I was, I was almost like stupidly tempted just to give it a five anyway but i will i will rein myself in just enough to give it a 4.9 4.9 yeah. yes my friend who agrees with me mainly for missy most of those are for missy i mean i i very very nearly agreed with you both oh <laughs> <laughs> better line than give us a kiss and not having the reveal spoiled and who knows maybe oh but you can't the reveal is not the fault of this episode that's unfair that's I, I know i i appreciate that i understand that but i can't mm. imagine i can't quite get myself you, into that you, alternative universe place you cannot like believe how annoyed i was at jim for spoiling it for the, about the maybe 15 seconds maximum until i would have got there on my own anyway <laughs> <laughs> i was so so grumpy with him he will tell you <laughs> so i feel i feel your pain <laughs> yeah do you want to see who else in podcast land agrees with us? Yes, please. Listener minis. Now let's hear from podcast land. Max to 50 or it would get out of hand. So first up, we have lovely review from, well, I don't know if it's lovely yet. We'll find out uh, from Mr. <laughs> Michael Ridgeway. Ridgeway. <laughs> Hello, Michael. Hi, Michael. Hi, Michael. <laughs> And Michael starts off uh, with a lovely long list of likes. First off, the giant ship. Next off, the time split stuff. Could not give a monkeys if the science poos all over the concept. The brutal death of Bill. The hammer horror medical cyberman. The brutal cyber conversion of Bill. The master reveal. First time round, did not see that coming. I felt utterly betrayed. Oh my god goodness this episode is freaking incredible and finally a nice continuity in the first cyberman having human hands after someone forgot to put the silver gloves on the actors in the 10th planet in an interview for the dvd <laughs> the costume designer is still quite upset about this wow <laughs> that's oh, incredible good knowledge what Michael. a nice bit of trivia yeah. <laughs> they, can, they can wait years in between being called upon to supply gloves and then <laughs> oh, oh. But it's not all utopia for Michael, because he also has some... 
first beef. The pretentious title. What the hell is that supposed to mean? How about the ship of death? Way better. (laughs) Well, Michael, if you'd been around in the 17th century to write a a poem called The Ship of Death, then maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I oddly find myself agreeing with both of you. Next beef. The CGI tearful Bill Cyberman effect. Hashtag nerf. (laughs) I'm the only one who didn't really hate that. Uh, Next up, uh, Michael thinks it's a pity we didn't see the early cloth side men in action after Mr. Blueface said they could break a person in two. That's true. We only saw the like lumbering, really ill, constantly in pain version of them. Michael's next beef is it's not yet clear why there is a master plan to take the ship level by level when the Cybermen can evidently just take the elevator to the bridge. Yeah, uh, Murray, here's your friend who agrees with you. Freaking (laughs) crazy good point. That being said, final Why aren't more episodes this good? They have two years to make a series. The lazy bastards. Every episode should be this good. No excuses. And to summarise, following legendary Seven Doctor Scribe Rona Monroe brackets eaters of light rating 4.5 out of 5 was a tough act to follow but this diamond of an episode pulled it off bravo no retconning your ratings michael show some integrity (laughs) well what does he give this why michael gives it 4.9 out of 5 poor mondasians upgraded to stumbling around wearing tights on their heads michael that's an excellent rating that's a smegging good rating Yes, amazing rating. Thank you so much, Michael. Um, all those who aren't Michael, maybe you'd like to follow Michael. Where can he be found? Well, that's a very good question. Drew, do you know the answer to that question? I do. I happen to be a close friend of Michael, and so I can reveal that he is on Twitter at bad underscore movie underscore club. No underscore. <laughs> Michael, so big. Colony ship sized. <laughs> Ow! <laughs> Thank you very much, Michael. Who's next? Well, next up, we have the awesome Alfie. Ooh, hello, awesome Alfie. Welcome back, awesome Alfie. Awesome Alfie starts. So I'm back after a while. The reason why I didn't send in more minis for season 10 is because I don't really like many of the episodes in it. And all I would have said is my song from my last mini. You know, that little classic that when take it away, Drew. Alfie, don't like it. <laughs> rock the doctor. Rock the doctor. And uh, Drew did remember that, and it still sounded terrible. Marie! Oh, no! It sounded fantastic. I'm sorry. I'm going to eat all those hobnobs you told me to bring. Don't care. Don't you dare. I'm relying on those, Drew. We're literally out of hobnobs from today. And Alfie concludes with his review. Anyway, World Enough and Time is great, and seeing as it's a Cyberman episode, I have to love it. So I give it a 5 out of 5 from your former Prime Minister, Awesome Alfie. Excellent rating, Awesome Alfie. Amazing rating, Awesome Alfie. Huge heart. Huge heart. 0.1. Huge heart. About 0.1. Bigger than mine and (laughs) Liam's. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> exactly. Thank you very much, Alfie. Who's next? <laughs> Excellent question. Next up, we've got Kieran Evans. Hello, Kieran. Hi, Kieran. Hi, Kieran. Kieran starts. Hi, folks. Sweet, sweet wheat. <laughs> he means world enough and time. It's an oh, acronym. Oh, my there God. Go. There you go. <laughs> so Probably clever. edited out that uh, pause there, Kieran. But yeah, I definitely stopped him. I'm like, what is W-E-A-T? Yeah. Well, what is that? Wheat? For like 10 or 11 minutes, just... <laughs> Paralyzed, <laughs> all of us shaking our heads. our heads. What is yeah. this? What does this mean? I knew what it was. <laughs> Brag at the twelfth uh, minute. <laughs> so Kieran kicks off with so clickbaity pre-titles aside. I'll save my thoughts on that one for later. We jump into Missy's test for being the Doctor. I love the Missy slash Doctor banter. Snappy, snarky, and Scottish. Brutal intercutting of Bill's conversation with Doc and her being shot. That's the second review to say brutal. A brutal episode. And uh, Kieran continues. So a big thing for me is being familiar with the big Finnish story, Spare Parts, set between Ooh. Time Flight and Arc of Infinity. So the classic gang can listen to it now. That's a really good recommendation. Convergent horror is often skipped over in the show. Though one notable exception in the 80s and then series two has a bit. But just as Spare Parts does it for big Finnish, this one is a grim, dark affair and is glorious. So, Razor, I actually missed the spoiler that Sims was back, so it was a surprise for me on first watch. But you could tell that something was off with him. Bill's conversion is very brutal. The Master has really done it this time. Interesting banter between the two Masters. It took me a while to work out the former Prime Minister line, as it's not quite as you first think it is, but next time explains it a little more. Oh, and the music in this one is so good, especially in the run-up to the Doctor finding Cyberbill, and I have to to second that because at many points I find, found myself thinking I should write a note about how great the music is in this episode and it just continued being great to the point where it was almost subliminally brilliant hmm. and I, I yeah I really rated it as well Murray Gold put a ton of effort in mm, absolutely uh, uh, an utter chap undeniably Kieran continues how did the crew miss that they were heading towards a black hole did it creep up on them insert red dwarf marooned reference uh marie care to comment um i don't know offhand leon you really need to start watching this blooming show i really do i absolutely do (laughs) but kieran continues and concludes i gave heaven sent a full five i don't think i can give it a full but it gets (gasps) 4.9 out of five pain 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 End quotes. Cheers, Kieran. No, cheers to you, Kieran, because holy smokes, that is a rating for the ages. People who are not Kieran, don't you worry about a thing, because you can follow (laughs) him on Twitter. Kieran can be found on Twitter at K J Evans two. That's the two. Oh. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was too busy looking up this marooned episode of Red Dwarf. <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, it's when they burn all the shit. Yes. Okay. I do I am with you. Okay. That's fine. Nice. 
Thank you that. very much, Kieran. Holy moly, Kieran, you're a Kieran. <laughs> yeah, there you are. <laughs> Me on is too drunk. Kieran is a Who's next? Why, it's Tan Six Fingers. How many fingers has he got? Not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not... Yes, kidding. Six he fingers. He puts the Tans and Tan Six Fingers, Tans and Tan Six Fingers. We mean you! <laughs> Very good. Hello, Tans. Hi, Tans. Tans begins. Heidi ho, who back when team? I really wish they hadn't mm. done spoilers. Yes, us too. Uh, in the trailers for this, as the cliffhanger reveal ending is simply perfect. Yeah, agreed. Tans liked the cold open, foreshadowing the Doctor's regeneration. It was reminiscent of Ten's odyssey to prolong his life before the prophecy caught up with him. Oh, don't remind us about that, Tans. Oh, yeah. Uh, Tans continues, I thought Missy was great pretending to play Doctor Who at the beginning. I especially liked her introducing Bill and Nardola's exposition and comic relief and calling them her disposables. The flashback exposition scene in the university kitchens where the Doctor is explaining his plan to them is great, especially how it was juxtaposed with the current time and things are falling apart. And potatoes are being wasted. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Mm, Tight! This story is based on the same principle as one of my favourite Red Dwarf <gasps> episodes. Leon, oh my get goodness. on the Red Dwarf train. For goodness sake. Really, really need to. But it's a different episode. Yes, it's Whitehall. <gasps> White oh, I love Whitehall. Oh my <laughs> goodness. It's seriously, uh, Tan Six Fingers, have you met Kieran Evans? <laughs> <laughs> and Tan continues, the Doctor even mentions Space Corps. Relative time dilation in an extremely compressed space. Tans continues, I loved the atmosphere and lighting. It has a very grim thriller feel to it, very suitable for Halloween. Yeah, nobody has mentioned, either us or the listeners yet, when the doctor just appears randomly, says, wait for me, and the light just sort of... (gasps) Yeah. Ups away from him and and bathes him in shadow and it's so over the top and so good. I need to rewatch that. I, I can't place it in my mind. Oh, there's one where he's standing in front of a, a window that's high up behind him, and, and there's another one where Bill is on the cusp of following Razor away to mm. what she thinks is the lifts. Yes. And yes. she looks back again. <gasps> oh and my he's god. Gone. Why didn't Ooh. we we should have talked about this? It's Why like didn't we talk about warning this? her not to go to the lift, so that's when she gets turned. That's so true. Oh my goodness, yes, you're right. Mm. Oh, it's such a good episode. I mean, 4.9 minimum, right? Mi- minimum, absolutely. <laughs> I'm slightly regretting my rating now. <laughs> Marie, you, you deconstructed the episode, so you of anyone are allowed to have a slightly uh, lower rating. <sighs> okay, fine. Does Tans continue? Uh, Tans's mini. All the cast were perfect, especially Bill. But poor Nardole didn't really get much in this one. That's true too. This was mm. the beginning of the end for Bill. But I think they did her exit story much better than Nissa, even though they were very similar. Except Nissa didn't get converted. And Tan Six Fingers concludes with the following line: "I give this." <gasps> 
Deep breath, everyone, in podcast land. Five out of five screaming Mondasian proto-Cybermen with their volume turned down. Oof. That's dark. That is some serious shit, Tan Sig's fingers. That's the darkest five out of five we've ever had. Oh, (laughs) absolutely incredible. Thank you so much for sending that in. People of podcast land who don't happen to be Ben O'Neill, a.k.a. Tan Sig's fingers. (laughs) How can they possibly emulate Ben O'Neill's lifestyle in order to reach, you know, just one step closer to Nirvana? Yeah, to earn that extra finger. (laughs) (laughs) Why, there are multiple options. I mean, personally, I would go to Instagram and type in Tan's six fingers. First of all, that's six the word. Or, or you could go full tweety bloops. That's Drew. what I do. I type in at tan six fingers with six as the numeral. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> this might be me being a little bit hungry, but I really want to register tan six fingers and custard right now and see if that's a. <laughs> wouldn't that be something? Oh, yeah. yum. Tans, Ben, thank you very much for sending that in. Good stuff. I can't believe out of the seven people to have submitted a rating, mine is the lowest. (laughs) (laughs) How bad do you feel, Drew? I feel completely correct. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's fairly unique, isn't it? That everybody across the board gives it within 0.2 of a perfect episode. That's amazing. Yeah. Probably the highest on average we've ever had of it. It might be City of Death and this one. Yeah. Mm. This is the new Who equivalent of City of Death. Yeah. Well done, Stephen Moffat. Well done, indeed. That's it for Listener Minis, but not it for listener emails, because we've singled out one email in particular. Dritty Modi has sent in an absolutely lovely email, and uh, we've decided to read it out in full. Dritty says, good morning, afternoon, evening or night. Time zones are tricky. You might very well miss this in the many emails that Who Back When gets, but I just wanted to say thank you for the amazing work you do with Who Back When. In my rewatching of Doctor Who, once again <laughs> reigniting my love for Clara, I discovered the Who Back When podcast in August 2020. A bit late to the party, but catching up nonetheless. It's played such a huge part in helping me get through the chaos of the pandemic, and anyway, I'm rambling. But I really just wanted to say thank you for the amazingness that Who Back When is. I hope you all have a lovely rest of your day. Slash afternoon, slash evening, slash night. Oh, hope you're having an excellent day, afternoon, evening, or night, Dritty. Who also adds a PS. And I would like to point out that I did mention this. I don't know if, I can't remember if I've cut this out, but I definitely mentioned this in the last classic that I recorded with Jim. Dritty adds a PS. If you do end up seeing this, random question, which one of you would you say does the best Australian accent? Sincerely, a curious Australian. And Andretti signs off with a bing bong from your friendly neighborhood, a pating. And I just want to say, if I did cut this out of the last classic, I mentioned to Jim, yeah, straight up, no doubt, it's a million percent Drew. So that's very kind of you. No why, mate. You're welcome down the surf club anytime, Cobber. <laughs>
Oh, Struth's burnt down again. Flaming oh. nuisance. <laughs> no offense, mate, but you sound like you're, you're a few stubbies short of a six-pack. Uh, right, uh, Daryl? A few stubbies. I could have thrown them on the fire and put it out, but now oh, it's just... Oh, what a yobbo. No, sit down. <laughs> sit down by your lappy. Have yourself a chocky bicky. Excuse my temper, mate. Oh, <laughs> Didn't stop the flaming crows. Where's Marie? She needs her Australian <laughs> to come in. Come on, Marie. Don't be shy. Come on, Marie. Come on. I didn't stop for Smoko Savo. Got way too much work on my plate. Leon, stop reading from your stupid slang Wikipedia entries. Come on, Marie, let's hear you. Screw you, Drew. It's not on Wikipedia. It's in my notes app. Crikey, blimey. <laughs> Sorry, Marie, my water. Uh, I spilled my water on my laptop and uh, it went everywhere and I, I can't. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fair dinkum. Oh, stick to saying water, love. You can say water pretty nicely, but laptop, no. <laughs> Good day. <laughs> I'm the Prime Minister of Australia, Scott Morrison, and I just like to say I think England are going to win the Ashes 5 0. Good on you, Poms. Soundbite. <laughs> <laughs> I assume that that answers your question, Dritty. <laughs> it is, hands down, Drew. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. <laughs> Jim, probably, but he wasn't available tonight. That's true. That is true. Yeah. We'll never know. Oh, so humble, Drew. <laughs> it's truth, mate. <laughs> it's Dritty, thank you so much for, for writing to us. Very, very sorry for not getting that. back to you just yet. Sorry, Drew? And for giving us an excuse to do that. Yeah. <laughs> pretty sure that Nick and I had an Australian off at one point. I, I know for a fact we had a Scottish off. I'm pretty sure we had an Irish off. I'm almost certain we had an Australian I off think, at some point. I think you you put the Scottish off, Scottish off and put the Irish off. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember the actual competitions. <laughs> Either way, Drizzy, thank you very much. What are we got coming up next? Well, I think the next episode is a classic. It's the... F- <laughs> this is Where not Australian at all. Um, well, I think it's called The Five Doctors. Mm. Oh, that's tempting. Well, that's classic. What about new? The Doctor Falls. <gasps> you looking forward to that? Very much. And what about the bonus channel, good sir? Bonus-wise, holy moly and uh, some cheese nozzles on the sides, uh, we are going to have a conversation at some point, goodness knows when, at some point, about the next showrunner, hashtag RTD2, about the possibility of a non-binary doctor jumping into season... What is the next season going to be? 14. It's 14 all around. Bingo bongo... Uh, and obviously, obviously about Flux. Cannot wait to get into into that with you guys. But in the meantime, I'm pretty sure that we are available on social media of some sort. Marie, what about you? Are you available somewhere? Yes, I'm available on Instagram at Hamash and Jelly. Wow, those are three of my favorite things. Drew! Wow, those are three of my favorite things also. <laughs> <laughs> and I can be found on Twitter at Drew Backwen. Excellent, Brandon. <laughs> and I can also be found on Twitter at Ponkin, P-O-N-K-E-N. Don't ask me why. Actually, ask me why. I might answer. Who knows? And that's it. That's been a wonderful episode. You've been a wonderful audience. We hope to hear from you soon on all forms of social media. And in the meantime, take care. Be bad and excellent to one another. And to ciao. Rock on! Thank you so much for being so lovely. Ciao, ciao. What a freaking cliffhanger. Bye-bye. <laughs>
Give us a kiss. <laughs> Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. But I've got no friends. No problemo. Tell some strangers. Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash whobackwhen. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at whobackwhen. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?